this morning. Hope you have a little bit better idea of the refugee crisis right here. But I want to introduce two of your fellow students. They're both seniors, so let's hear it for the class of 2018. All right. Arrive Ministries is so uh, delighted to partner with student ministries here, and we have uh, Emily Bowen and Evelyn and Emily Nelson. And uh, did you did you happen to know that for 18 years in the 1990s and early 2000s, the most popular name given to uh, babies born in the United States was Emily? So we have proof right here today. But. Uh, I understand, Emily Bowen, that you're a transfer student, and you came all the way from Ohio, your family's back there, and you were hoping to be adopted by a family here in the Twin Cities. Did that happen? Jesus with this family? Um, I would say yes. I can't, you know, walk in and like hand them tracts, but they know that I'm a Christian and so that affects how they view my actions. So I can testify through my actions and I can be creative. I'm from a historic peace church. So because they've had a lot of war in their lives, we can talk about peace and I can talk about what Jesus and peace means to me. So Emily, are you doing this alone or are there other people joining with you and the group that's involved? Yeah, we, I do not do it alone. I have a partner that goes with me. Um, and we had, I believe we tutored 12 families last year, so 24 people reaching out from Northwestern. Good. Well, e Emily Nelson, uh, I understand you do this on uh, Friday nights, so I guess there's no dates or something uh, uh, for you or whatever. But you do it Friday nights. Why, why do you do Okay. At the end of a, a long week of studies and all the rest, how do you have the energy on Friday nights to get involved with a Somali family? Yeah, so Somali tutoring can seem, it can sound exhausting. Um, I do do it on Friday nights, and Friday nights is usually when, you know, people are re like unwinding from their week and making plans and chilling. And I drive to Maplewood and tutor my Somali family. Um, but I've been really blessed by my family. Um, the family that I have um, has eight children. And surprisingly, all of the children are really well behaved and really sweet. Um, the parents are really inviting. And um, usually after tutoring, the mom, the mom has told me from now on she's gonna cook for me every night. Um, and so we end up just sitting around the kitchen table and eating food and just having conversation about life and hanging out with their kids. And it's actually really 
more refreshing and more of a blessing than it is like super taxing. So, Hootery, what what is that like? You must be an education major to be doing something like this. I'm actually a psych major. I do have an ed minor, um, but you do not have to be an education major. Um, basically, what I do is um, when I go, um, the first thing we usually do is um, we go into the basement of the home, and all the kids follow, and I just ask them like who has homework that they want to work on, and it seems like math homework is usually like the most common um, that they have, and so I'll, I'll help I'll help them with that, and then. Um, <laughs> Also, before, before I leave for tutoring on Fridays, I usually go to the Northwestern Library and I check out children's books. The two youngest boys in the family, Amin and Abdi, are really, really into animal picture books. Um, and so usually with some extra time, I'll just sit on the couch with them and we'll read. Um, I also bring Mad Libs, um, which is super fun because not only is it educational, like these kids are learning pronouns and adjectives and, and whatnot, but they're also having a ton of fun with it. I mean, there's just a lot of laughter um, that comes with it. Um, and then also, um, sometimes the mom, the mom has bought like workbooks for the children. Um, so there are some weeks where the mom has told me like, once the kids finish everything, I want them to work on like this math, math book or English book or whatever. So, um, and then other times we just kind of shoot the breeze with the kids and just hang out and talk with them a little bit at the end. Yeah, so it's oftentimes been said that we need to build relationships that are strong enough to bear the weight of the gospel. So what is that like for you? Yeah, so I, I definitely, yeah, this is a very good question. Um, I think in terms of just talking about our faith with each other, um, it's nothing that I, I, I want to be pushy about. Um, they know that I'm a believer. Um, and I think one of the first weeks, the kids even ask me, like, are you a Christian? And of course, then I say, um, yeah, I am. And, and we can talk about it that way. Um, but I also, um, I'm careful of how I share. Um, holidays are a great time to bring up faith and religion. Um, when Eid or Ramadan rolls around, I can ask them, you know, about how they celebrate. And then when Christmas and Easter comes around, they ask me. Um, that's a really great way. I always want to just be careful that when I'm with the kids, um, I don't want to, I don't want the parents to feel threatened. Like, oh, I'm going to secretly be telling the kids about Jesus and the, the you know. Um, but so it, it's just, it's something that I think, in order to share the gospel, you need to have a relationship first. And so um, just really building that relationship, building that trust, and then as that trust gets built, you can talk about faith and, and Jesus. And so I understand, Emily, both of you, Emily, that there are 35 refugee families right now waiting for a student from Northwestern to be matched to them and come alongside you. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about Way in the Wilderness and how people can get involved? Yeah, so we need a lot of tutors. Um, so if you are interested, please contact us. Um, we have an email um, address that's Emily's, and my phone number is up on the screen. So feel free um, to contact us. Just say your name and what you're interested in, and we'll definitely get back to you. Um, yeah, and if you ever see us around, just feel free to, to ask us questions or, or whatever. We'd love to talk with you. Terrific. Well, Arrive Ministries is so grateful for students like the two Emilys, your fellow classmates, and let's give them a great big hand. Thank you. <laughs> so friends, as you saw in the video and you've heard from your fellow students, uh, we're in the midst of a refugee crisis. That video was only put together three, weeks, uh, three months ago, and you may have seen the statistic. There are 21.7 million refugees in the world. 
Well, since that was put together, there's another million. 22.7 million refugees. These are people who have fled from their home country. They've crossed a national boundary because of fear for persecution, because of uh, religion, social uh, connection, uh, ethnic uh, group that they belong to. And in the country of Syria alone, there are 5 million Syrians that have fled across a national boundary to places like Jordan or Turkey or Lebanon. One out of every four people in Lebanon today is a refugee. But in addition to the 5 million Syrians who have fled as refugees, there are also 8 million Syrians who are internally displaced. That means that they've fled from one part of Syria to another. And today there are 65 million people in the world who are either refugees or internally displaced people. So you go back to Syria for a second. Everyone who's been displaced in Syria, either as a refugee or internally displaced, the number of people who've been displaced is equivalent to the whole population of Minnesota and Wisconsin combined. So think for a moment of everyone you know and everyone you don't know in these two states, whether you're a Packers fan or a Vikings fan, everyone from these two states have either fled to Canada or Mexico or some other country or fled across not a national border, but fled out of their homes to places like Iowa or North Dakota or in, uh, Indiana or other places because of freedom. There are more refugees today per capita in Minnesota than any other state in the United States. Now, not more refugees, but more refugees per, per capita compared to our population. So we as Arrive Ministries has helped to resettle more than 11,000 refugees, refugees from places like Somalia and Eritrea and, uh, and uh, the Hmong amongst us, the Liberians, the Iraqis, the, Quran, uh, the Karen and others. 46% of those that we have welcomed and resettled are brothers and sisters in Christ. But also, God is bringing the nations to our doorstep. We're in Global Awareness Week. And so God is bringing Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists right here to be our next door neighbors because God is concerned with missions on our doorstep. And the goal of Arrive Ministries, as you've seen from uh, the two Emilies, is to match every refugee with a church or a volunteer who's going to come alongside them, welcome them in the name of Jesus, and love them unconditionally, just as Jesus Christ loved us. Let me tell you the story of a couple of refugees that I know. We've had refugees live in our home, and, and uh, recently we were at the airport, and you've all been there, most all of you, as the, you come into the baggage claim area, the sliding doors open, and you come in and, and see... Uh, uh, all your baggage that's uh, lined up there. But we had a family come recently. They had fled from Somalia to Kenya, from Kenya to Uganda, and finally to South Africa, where they had lived as refugees for 12 years. The average refugee spent 17 years in a refugee camp. So this family was lucky. They had only spent a dozen years in a refugee camp. And as they came down into the baggage claim area, the father was on crutches because he still... Uh, uh, had the bullets and the wounds from when they had fled. He had never been able to fully recover to walk without crutches. And the wife and the children come down, and as they come down into the baggage claim area, there was a church welcoming them with a big banner, Welcome to the United States, in Swahili and in Arabic and in Somali and in English. And there were 18 people there at the airport welcoming them. And the wife turned to the case manager and said in Somali, What dignitary came off this plane? There's a welcoming party. What dignitary came off this plane? And, and she was told, they've come to welcome you. And she said, we've never been welcomed 
anywhere in our lives. And when the church of Jesus Christ is about welcome, when the church of Jesus Christ is there for the vulnerable, whether it's the homeless amongst us, whether it's the incarcerated who are coming out of prison or the refugees that God has put into our, our lives, it's a powerful message of the gospel being lived out. We had a refugee family live with us for several weeks because we couldn't find housing for them. <clears throat> Recently, they just bought their first house. They had saved $26,000 working hard and bought a house in Burnsville. But let me tell you about the first week they were with us. We went out, it was this time of the year, we went out to an apple orchard in Waconia to pick apples. And the father of the family got all nervous. And he said, what are we going to have to go through a police check? Because as a refugee, he was always having to show identification and always concerned about the military, how they might be affected. And I said, well, you know, you see the speedometer on my, my uh, car? If, if I don't go too much above 55, we're probably pretty safe. Nobody's going to bother us. We went and picked apples. They'd never seen apples or any, any fruit like that. Being, and we ate some off the tree and we bought some apples. Then we went and did what everyone likes to do on a warm fall afternoon. We went to Dairy Queen. <laughs> and we had a great time eating ice cream. And as they, the family saw other families coming in from the soccer fields and kids having a dilly bar or a, or a blizzard or whatever it might be. And they just had a, a wonderful time. And then we came back to our house and we grilled some meat out on the deck. And we just started talking about life. And then the father of the family told me the story. He said, I was picked up by the military and accused of something I didn't do. And for two years of my life, every single day, I was beaten. And I was told the beating would stop if I just signed this confession of what I had not done, but a confession. And he said, for two years, I resisted. And finally, after two years, I signed a confession in a language I couldn't read, put my name on the bottom saying that I had done whatever they said I had done because I didn't want to be beaten any longer. He was let out of prison, scheduled for trial, and then the military came to his home and burned his home down and killed his mother. And they decided this was enough, they had to flee. And they fled for the next 11 years to Malaysia and then were vetted by the U.S. government and then came to the United States and we were able to welcome them in the name of Jesus. And after telling me the story, as we're eating out of the deck, as the sun is setting and we're enjoying each other's company, he said to me, Bob, this is the best day of my life. And what had we done? We picked apples. We went to Dairy Queen. We ate out on the deck and had some meat and some friendship. And this was the best day of his life. So you and me, we have the opportunity as we partner with Jesus Christ, as we welcome our neighbors, to literally rewrite the history for people as we welcome them with the love of Jesus Christ. Well, why do we do this? Why should we care about refugees? Why should we care about social injustice, whether it's racial or social or economic injustice? Well, 93 times in the Old Testament, the Old Testament uses this word called ger, G-E-R. And it's the word that's translated sometimes aliens in the old translation. You know, you get the idea of E.T., call home, or something like that. Not aliens in that sense, but aliens or sojourners or strangers. And every time in the scripture, when they talk about the word ger, the Hebrew word ger, it talks about being respectful and supporting and, and caring for and loving. Let me give you a couple quick examples. Leviticus 19.13. 
33 says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you should not, you shall not do him harm. You should treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native amongst you. You should love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land. I am the Lord your God. Or Exodus 23, 9. You should not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. The children of Israel had been refugees. Jesus himself was a refugee. He fled with Mary and Joseph when Herod wanted to kill uh, all the newborn babies. They fled to Egypt before uh, able to come back. Psalm 14 says this, The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Leviticus 27:19. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, and all God's people shall say, Amen. Shift for just a second, and we're almost done. I know you're ready to go to class, or you're ready to get that cup of coffee because you know, you know, you're just still waking up here in chapel this morning. But uh, look at the New Testament. We are commanded as the children of, of God to practice hospitality. And did you know that the Greek word for hospitality, even if you're not a Bible major or whatever, the Greek word for hospitality is made up of two other words: the word philio and the word. So when we're told to practice hospitality, we're pr told to practice filio xenia. Filio, what does that mean? Love. Okay, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Filio, love. Xenia, stranger. It's where we get the word xenophobic, which means fear of strangers. And so when we're commanded to practice hospitality, God tells us to show love to strangers. The people who don't look like us, who don't have the same background, God is bringing the strangers to our doorstep. There are more refugees more in Minnesota per capita than any other state. Why? Because God knows his church. He knows that you and I are up to the task of showing hospitality to the ones God is bringing to us. Do you remember that story of the Good Samaritan? I'm going to close with this. We're almost done. So on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up and to test Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And, the, and the, uh, uh, the teacher of the law said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the teacher of the law said, well, who is my neighbor? And maybe you ask that question, well, who is my neighbor this morning? And Jesus then tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He tells about the one who had been beaten on the road uh, to Jericho and how some religious leaders uh, uh, walked by, the priest and the Levite. And then this Samaritan walks by and binds up the wounds of the, of the, of the uh, beaten man who had been left for dead, puts him on his own animal, brings him to an inn, and pays the cost of his upkeep until he is healed. And then Jesus turns back to the teacher of the law and says this, he says, not who is my neighbor, but he says, who was a neighbor? So the question Jesus asked us and asked the teacher of the law is not who is my neighbor, but who will be a neighbor? And so the question this morning for the University of Northwestern in St. Paul, for you as students and faculty and I ask myself the same question. 
is not who is my neighbor, but who will be a neighbor. Who will join people like our two Emilies and people in the way in the wilderness? Who will reach out and be neighbors to the ones God has brought clearly into our community? Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you that uh, you are in the midst of restoring lives, redeeming lives. That, Father, we are all strangers and aliens, separated from God, separated from the beloved. But you and your richness and your, and your love reached down and sent Jesus to redeem us. Though he was rich, he became poor. And though he did not take equality with God, something to be grasped, he took on the form of a servant, became found in human likeness, humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And because of his obedience, you have given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, Father, may we too, as a university, as people of God, may we have the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was rich, he became poor. May we take on the form of a servant as we love those who you have brought to be our neighbor. We ask this in the name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen.